All right, I'm going to tell you about something I, I loved when I was in high school and college, and that was places that were open 24 hours. Places that were open 24 hours were awesome. There was this place in my hometown called the Old Town Donut Shop, open 24 hours. Get a donut anytime that you want. There was a place uh, at Mizzou uh, called the Broadway Diner where you could get this thing called the Stretch. And uh, uh, look it up. <laughs> the Stretch was the thing that only someone who's 20 years old would eat at 2 a.m., right? Um, but my, our go-to spot when I was growing up, the go-to spot was Denny's. Because Denny's was perfect at any moment, and you didn't ever have to guess if Denny's was open. It was, right? And you knew what was there. And I need to tell you, there is nothing better than getting out of a movie with your friends at like, you know, 1130 and saying, let's go to Denny's and getting a Moons Over Miami sandwich. Have you guys seen a Moons Over Miami sandwich? Um, I have a picture of it here. We'll show you. Moons Over Miami was, um, this is the best picture I could find, by the way, <laughs> which is a tragedy. Um, you know, it's like ham and cheese and eggs on, and it, Moons Over, like, and just ordering the Moons Over Miami is delightful. Because you say to the waitress, I would like a moons over my hammy, please. And everyone knows how ridiculous you sound. And no one says anything. So you get to order. And then here's what I discovered yesterday. I discovered that I, I didn't think there was a Denny's in town. There's a Denny's in Pekin. And it's 24 hours. And I really did think yesterday as I was finishing my sermon, I was like, what if I went and finished it at Denny's? And I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> I was that close. Um, so uh, beware. Some of you may be invited to Denny's with me at some point soon. Um, you know, these places that are open all the time, 24 hours, are, are, kind, of, are kind of important. As a matter of fact, there is a, there's a new disaster um, uh, scale, a way of measuring disasters that is the Waffle House scale, right? Because Waffle House is a place that's known for being open all the time. And it's actually part of their business strategy to be known as a place that you can always go to that's going to be an open. So if there's a, a hurricane that comes through or a natural disaster somehow, then you know you're in the green zone if Waffle Houses are open and they're serving their full menu. But sometimes if they're, they're running on a generator, they haven't gotten the supplies in, you may be in a yellow zone. Trouble may be happening because there may be a limited menu at Waffle House, and you know you're in big trouble if a Waffle House actually closes, right? Because if a Waffle House has to, has to actually close, I actually read about this, they have jump teams that go to places in natural disasters to keep their Waffle Houses open. They consider it kind of a, like a key part to who a Waffle House is. Jocelyn, why are you talking about Denny's and Waffle House? I'm glad you asked. We're in the middle of a sermon series we're calling, Yes, We're Open. And the whole idea being that like a Denny's or like a Waffle House, we would be ready at all times. We would be open to hearing what God might have for us. We'd be open to hearing how God might be leading or directing or speaking. The whole point of what we're talking about right now is that we might cultivate among ourselves a willingness to always be open to hearing from God and following where he leads. And so to do that, we're looking at these stories from the early, early church in the book of Acts. That's where we're going to be today. So if you have your Bible, you can get there really quick. We're going to the, the book of Acts. And we've been looking at these stories of how the early church heard from, from the Lord, how the early church heard God speaking and how it was able to, to uh, respond and listen in on what God might have for it. These were people who were desperate to know God's leading. And so how did God show up? And how might looking at how God showed up and how they heard things, how might that help us as we're in a season of God, what would you have from us? How do we cultivate 
an attitude of wanting to hear from God. Now, fair warning, fair warning. You guys know when you're watching a movie or a TV show and you know something scary or gross is about to happen and you do like one of these and you're like, oh, can I watch it? I don't know. That's going to happen in this passage. (laughs) All right, so fair warning. Some of you guys may have this reaction to be like, oh, okay, it's in the Bible. We're going to read it, um, but just prepare yourself. So we're going to read this passage together. This is Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 12. Here's what the scripture says. It says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120, and said, Brothers, The scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now, this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language a kaldamah, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So, One of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go his, to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that your um, Holy Spirit would illuminate scripture for us in our hearts, that it might take root and it might not return empty, but that it might accomplish the work for which it has been intended in us and in our community, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so to dig into this passage, we're just going to look at three things today. We're going to look at the problem that needed to be solved. So there's a problem to solve. We're going to look at the community who listens, so your community who listens, and then a God who speaks. So a problem to solve, a community who listens, and a God who speaks. Let's start with the problem 
to solve. Did you see it? We may, have, we may have missed it, but it's there right at the beginning of our passage where we're given this list of names, and you guys recognized many of those names. Those were the names of the disciples, the close inner ring of followers of Jesus that pop up over and over throughout the Gospels. But if you were reading closely, you noticed there was a problem, and the problem was that now there are only 11 names there. There's a name missing. Where there had always been 12, now there are 11. And this is a serious problem. Do you remember what happened with Judas? Do you remember that Judas for a time was plotting with the religious leaders to take Jesus' life? And so for a, for a, for a bribe, for money, Judas took a payment and then arranged to indicate where Jesus was and to point him out to the authorities so that subsequently Jesus would be arrested and condemned and crucified. The people then, and even us now, know that Judas is considered one of the greatest betrayers of all time, the archetype of someone who defects and turns on those who would care for them. But Judas was not a good guy, and now he's gone, and this has presented a problem for the community. Notice first that it's a ministry problem. It's a, it's a mission problem. So this is how Peter describes it down in verse 17. Did you see what he said? For he, meaning Judas, for Judas was numbered among us. It was allotted his share in this ministry. So they have a ministry problem. They, were, they had intended to accomplish what, what Jesus was intending with 12 of them. They had kind of known it all along. This was the, they were the in, inner circle, and now, um, now Judas was missing. And so it's a ministry problem, but it's also a reputational problem. There's a reputational problem happening because everyone, did you notice what he said? Everyone in Jerusalem knew what had happened. The whole city knew that one of Jesus' closest followers had betrayed him. Someone who had claimed to be close by, someone who had claimed to be a, a trustworthy um, member of Jesus's, um, Jesus' group now turned his back on Christ. And not only that, in kind of a horrible graphic way, the scripture tells us what happened to him. And, and we won't go into those details, but what we need to know is sharing the manner in which Judas died and then what happened to his body is a way of sharing with us people knew that even God had turned his back on Judas to leave a body out, to, to have what happened um, to Judas' body happen means that everyone knew the judgment of God was upon Judas as well. And so this was a reputational problem for the disciples. Here was this, here was this group that was forming around and, and was about to be sent forth to grow and become what we now know as the church of God. And they have as one of their core first inner ring people has been a betrayer and turned his back. What's going to happen to the reputation of God's people? But they also have a deeply personal and painful problem. Remember, Judas was with them for years and years. A close companion, probably a friend. As a matter of fact, we know that on the night of, of the Last Supper, as they're sitting at the table with his, with his, with his um, disciples and with Jesus, we know that Jesus says, the hand of one who will betray me is on the table with me. And we're told what? In Luke 22, verse 23, is that the disciples began to question one another, which of them it could be that would do this. The disciples didn't know that Judas was capable of betraying Jesus the way that he did. You can't you imagine how much that hurt? A person you had spent years with, a person that you cared for, a person who appeared to be one way, now appears to be something different and has radically changed. This is a personal, painful problem. 
Yes, it's reputational for the church. Yes, it's missional. But for the disciples, it's personal. And the 12 are now 11. And that's important. Jesus had chosen these 12. He named them. He called them out. He had even said in Matthew that these were the people who were going to sit on the thrones and judge Israel, the 12 that were around him. The, they, and and the, the nation of Israel, in the way that it expected its Messiah to come, the way that it expected things to, to progress, is that there would be a reinstitution of 12 tribes. And the assumption was that these apostles were representing those 12 tribes, that this was very key to the mission, that there would be 12, and now they're stuck with 11. And they have this problem. Should they even replace Judas? And if they choose to replace him, who is going to do it? Notice this problem highlights two key things for us. The first thing it highlights is that these are hard, difficult circumstances. These are hard and difficult circumstances. Yes, Jesus has risen from the grave, but there's still all kinds of of difficulty. Jesus is gone. Jesus has been betrayed. Their lives are still in danger, right? Jesus tells them to go back to Jerusalem, which is exactly where Jesus was just murdered. Entire crowds of people gathered to take the life of the person they had been following. To return to Jerusalem and to wait there was a dangerous choice. As a matter of fact, still, not only is this a difficult time, it's an uncertain time. We know the disciples still don't quite get what's going on, right? Because we're told even just a few verses earlier, we we learned it last week, in verse 6, they say, when Jesus says, look, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, what do the disciples ask? They say, okay, Jesus, is now the time you're going to return the kingdom to Israel? And what they're looking for is Jesus still to make this political move, to still to make this military move, that somehow Jesus is going to now kind of swoop in and do things. Now that he's died and risen again, isn't he going to come in and save us the way we've been expecting all along? They still don't quite get it. There's all kinds of uncertainty. And so this problem arises in the middle of difficult and hurt and confusion and uncertainty. And have any of you ever been there? How do you make a decision in a world that seems upside down? How do you discern your problems clearly when you're hurt and when you're concerned and when you're worried? Well, let's see. Let's see what the community does. Let's look at the community who listens. The community who listens. Notice first, as they're going to address this problem, this problem that's arised in difficult and uncertain times, notice first that it is truly a community, and we're told who's there. So we have the 11 remaining apostles, and then we're told that they've gathered together, right, with the women. And so we know that throughout Luke's gospel, remember Luke wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. It's a two-volume set. And so in Luke's gospel, we know that there were these women who were following and actually funding Jesus's ministry. And so men and women are there. They've gathered Mary. The last time we hear her referenced in the whole scripture is right here in this upper room after Jesus's ascension. Mary and then Jesus's brothers. And then we're told all in all in this room were 120 people. They are a community. And they're going to take eight primary steps as a community to address their problem. Let's look at the eight steps that this community is going to take. Here's the first thing that they're doing. Notice we're told right away at the top from the very beginning that these people had returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. We shouldn't read over that. 
because this is exactly what Jesus had commanded them to do. So back in verse 6, we're told what, or sorry, verse 4, it says, while they were, and while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem and wait. So the first step taken is that they were already being obedient to the command that Jesus has given. Here's what they're doing. First step, first step of the community who listens is to do the things they already knew to do. Do the things they already knew to do. We must absolutely not overlook the fact that they were doing exactly what Jesus had called them to do. Friends, one of the most important things that we can do when we seek to hear the voice of God in a new season, when we seek to experience his leading, is to be obedient to the things we know he has already called us to. To be obedient to prayer, to be obedient to scripture, to be obedient to loving our neighbor, to be obedient to being generous and gentle and kind, to be obedient to loving God and loving neighbor. The first thing that we do when seeking to hear God's voice is to do what he's already called us to do. Here's the second step they take. We're told that they were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to prayer. Did you see it down there in verse 14 that all in one accord they were devoting themselves to prayer? And so imagine prayer in a community. Another word we could use for that is worship. And that devoted means an ongoing commitment. They were consistently committed to being in prayer with one another and worshiping the Lord. The second step is a settled commitment to be part of the community that is worshiping Jesus. So they were obedient to what they already knew to do. The, the listening community was obedient to what they already knew to do, and then they were devoted to a, a life of worship and prayer amongst one another. And then look at the third thing that happens. We're told that Peter stands up to address the crowd. Now again, something we may be tempted to read over because we're so used to hearing these descriptions of Peter taking leadership roles, except remember what has just happened to Peter mere weeks before. He's denied that he even knew Jesus. He had denied that he even knew Jesus. He ran away when Jesus was arrested. Peter knew the depth of his own failure. And then at some point during Jesus' ascension appearances, Jesus and Peter are, are walking together on the, the shores of Galilee. And, and do you remember what Jesus asks him? He says, Peter, do you love me? Three times. And Peter says, yes. Do you guys remember what Jesus' response was to him? Jesus' response was to feed my sheep, which Peter would have known meant serve my people, lead my people. And so here we have Peter for taking that first baby step into doing exactly what God had called him to do, feed my sheep. Here's Peter standing up and saying, okay, I think, I think we need to reflect on what, what is happening here. We need to reflect on the problem in front of us. And so the community who listens, right, they, they're obedient to what God has already told them to do. They're devoted to prayer and worshiping together. And then someone stands up and helps gather their attention in obedience to God's leading. And we have the fourth thing is that what Peter does is he instantly refers to scripture. Do you see what he said? Look down at verse, um, at verse 16. He says, brothers, and we can assume sisters because we know men and women are there. So brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. What do they do now? They turn to the scripture. And why do they turn to the scripture? Because that's where God is already speaking. 
Why do they turn to Scripture? Because that's where God is already speaking. And so Peter quotes these two psalms. And can't you imagine that leading up to this moment, he'd been having conversations with his friends and the other disciples, and what should we do? And they're sitting there going, well, what does Scripture already tell us? And they're consulting the Scripture, and it's, un, you know, it's not, they didn't have like Bibles that we had. They had it all in their heads, right? They were familiar enough with the Scriptures to go, where might God give us some direction? And can't you imagine that in conversation, someone goes, hey, what about, what about Psalm 69, and they think about it, and they pray about it. And they stand up and they go, yeah, I think that this, is, this is, has something to do with us. So that Peter can boldly claim that a psalm that had been written probably thousands of years before, maybe a thousand years before, had to do with the circumstance they were in right now. Friends, the fourth step is to, to read the scriptures and to read them together and see what they might have because the Holy Spirit is speaking there. It's pretty amazing that Peter believes that the Holy Spirit is using this passage to, teach, to tell them what to do in this case, this problem of Judas. Because you know what the scripture doesn't say? I, 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 you can go and look. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, hey guys, when it's time and Judas betrays you, make sure you replace him with Matthias. <laughs> right? It, it doesn't say that anywhere. But they go to the scripture and here's what they have to do next. They have to use wisdom. They have to use wisdom to apply biblical truth to the complex situation of life. So do you notice where we are on our list? The first thing that they did was they were obedient to what they already needed to do. And then they devoted themselves to being part of a worshiping community. And then Peter stood up to give them focus. And then they consulted the scriptures. And now they're going to exercise wisdom. And so they say, well, this applies. Here's why we think this applies. And they come up with this idea. They say, really, there's two qualifications that we need to do. If the scripture is instructing us, which they believed it was, they believed that Psalm was telling them they need to replace Judas, not just ignore what has happened, not just let it go. So the scripture says replace Judas. Here's what they need to do. They're going to apply wisdom. They're going to apply scripture to the complex situation they find themselves in. And they decide that this person needs to, did you notice what he has to do down in verse 21? Needs to be someone who was with them all along for all of Jesus' ministry, accompanied them during the time the Lord Jesus went out and among them, and then also needs to become a witness to the resurrection itself. And so, the, so this, the person, the, the wisdom that they're going to apply is that this person needs to have been there, needs to have experienced, right, the ministry of Jesus from the very beginning, and then secondly, needs to be a witness to the resurrection. So they exercise wisdom, and then what do they do? Well, they pursue community discernment. See what they did? They said, okay, Scripture's telling us to replace Judas. We think wisdom tells us that the person that we need to replace him with has these two qualifications. And now as a community, who might that be? And they come up with two names. As a community, they discern. Step six, they discern. They discern. There are these two people, Joseph Barsabbas, which probably means Joseph, son of the Sabbath. He might have been born on the Sabbath day. So Joseph and Matthias. These are two guys that the community discerns fit the bill. These are the two people that might work. And now, what are they going to do? Because they have two opportunities. They have two potential ways forward. But they're a community who listens. And so their seventh step is to specifically pray. To pray specifically and make a specific request to God about what's happening. Look back down with me at verse 24. It says, and they prayed. So as a community, they prayed and they said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, 
Show which one of these two you have chosen. They just ask God, really specifically. God, we have these two in front of us. We've, we've consulted the scriptures. We've been praying. We've been gathered together. We're trying to figure out what you want. And now will you show us? Because why? Because you know hearts and we don't. So they said, God, you know human hearts and we don't. And so they pray and they ask God and they're doing exactly as Jesus had commanded them. Jesus had always said to ask and seek and knock and it will be given. And so they ask. And then we get to the strange moment. They say, Lord, show us what you have chosen. And they cast lots. Right? So if in your mind you're like, what was it? Like eeny, meeny, miny, moe, catch a tiger by his toe. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> right? It was a little bit like that. Right? It was like they took probably, we don't know for sure, probably they took two rocks and one color rock meant one thing, and one color rock meant another, and they shook them up, and they drew them out, and they were like, oh, Matthias, that's who God wants. Is that weird to you? That the end of all of this decision-making comes down to casting lots, to, to maybe pulling a rock out of a pouch, or, or maybe you know, throwing a dice on the ground, or flipping a coin. Does that seem strange to you? But that's how this story ends. They cast lots and Matthias is chosen. So it, it, it's important for us then to say, what did they not do that they could have done? Well, the community who listens, here's what it didn't do. It didn't freeze. It didn't say, oh no, we don't know what to do, so we're not going to do anything. The community didn't bicker. The community didn't campaign for the one they wanted. The community didn't sit down to evaluate pros and cons between Joseph and Matthias. The community didn't hold a debate. Matthias wasn't over in the corner of the upper room going, hey, vote for me. They didn't have a vote. They prayed. They consulted scripture. They discerned together. They used wisdom. And they said, God, now it's up to you. See, instead, what the community who listens does, what the community who listens does, is they do the things they know to do. They do the things they know to do, and then they trust that God will work in their midst. The community who listens does the things that they know to do, to pray, to worship, to be connected, to listen, to, to exercise godly wisdom. And then there was no reason for them to question the outcome. Because they had trust in the God who was working in their midst. Because it's not just about being a community who listens, it's also about knowing the God who speaks. It's not just about being a community who listens, it's about knowing the God who speaks. Notice a couple things. Notice first, before we get to any layer of discernment, right up at the top as they're working through this decision, Peter says in verse 16 that the Holy Spirit had already spoken. The God who speaks, speaks in his word. He has already done so. Friends, God speaks most frequently and most clearly in Scripture, and he will never speak in a way that contradicts it. God speaks most frequently to us and most clearly to us in the words of Scripture itself. And he will never speak in a way that contradicts what is here. When we want to hear God speak, and when we want to connect with the God who speaks, we start right here. 
We always turn to Scripture. But notice what else about the God who speaks is that he's also a God who listens. He's also a God who listens. This is a community who has confidence that God will hear their prayers. And they're most certainly directing these prayers to Jesus. Remember that Jesus had taught them this. Remember Jesus had told them, this is, how, this is what you're to do. You go to God who, who loves you like a father and wants to give you good things. So ask and seek and knock and it will be provided. This is a community that has been saturated in a habit of prayer and in prayer together. And so the God who speaks is the God who listens as they ask. Notice also that the God who speaks is the God who is sovereign. This is where we have to, we have to come back to the idea of casting lots again. Because this community had confidence that God was in charge of everything. This community had confidence that God was completely in charge. That's what sovereign means, right? That nothing escapes his ability and his desire to be aware of and his ability to control. God is authority over all things. Even the socks you put on this morning, you guys. God has authority over that. God is aware of that. Nothing escapes his attention. So how could he miss the flip of a coin? Or why would he not act in the casting of a lot? Undoubtedly, they knew the proverb that comes in chapter 16, verse 33 of Proverbs, where Scripture says, The lot is cast in the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. They knew that this was a way that the community sought God's leading in the past. Even in the casting of lots, they're relying on Scripture to teach them about who God is and to know that God is sovereign and in control so that when it's time to flip the coin and when it's time to draw the lot, they know that God is present and working. Friends, listen, in this instance that we're learning about this morning, the leading of God was not a magic voice from heaven, but instead... The leading of God was a wise, prayer-soaked community decision that was grounded in Scripture and was made in the settled confidence that the same God of the universe who raised Jesus from the dead could control the metaphorical role of a dice. The The same God who raised Jesus from the dead could control the casting of lots. It wasn't wasn't magic. It wasn't crazy. It was a God who speaks because he is sovereign and he is present and he wants to help a community know him and hear him. So for us, just a few takeaways. For us, just a few takeaways. Our first job in seeking to hear the leading of God is to be faithful to the things that he has already told us. Our first job, our primary job, the thing that we do first is we're in this season of wanting to hear from God. The very first thing that we do is to do the things we already know to do. You, my guess is that a majority of you in this room, you've listened to a million sermons. I don't need to tell you what those things are. 
We need to read our scripture. We need to be connected to a community. We need to be worshiping. We need to be with, with pulling back from sinful things. We need to be confessing our brokenness. We need to be restoring our relationships. We need to be gentle and kind and loving and good and giving and generous and sacrificial. We need to start by doing the things we already know how to do. Our first job is to be obedient to what God has already revealed. Here's another takeaway. Wisdom is a worthy goal. Exercising wisdom is a worthy goal. And for this story, in this instance, wisdom, and I think most often, wisdom is found in the worshiping community. Peter didn't go off by himself into some room by himself and like, you know, figure out what to do. This was a community gathered, discerning together, imagining together, exercising wisdom together about what might be the way God is leading and guiding. Wisdom is a worthy goal, and we need one another. I need you to help me act wisely. You need each other to help each other act wisely. Community is key to the discernment we seek. Here's a third takeaway. God can be trusted. God can be trusted. We tend to look at like the casting of lots or the tossing of a dice as just, as just random. But nothing is random. A good, loving, sovereign God is in control of all of the details of my life and your life. And though we may not always understand it, We can trust him. Our God is trustworthy. The same Jesus who lived a perfect life, who gave that life on the cross, who rose victorious from the grave and who's now ascended to the Father, that very same Jesus is with you and with our community even now. And he can be trusted to lead and guide. One last takeaway as we end where we began in this story. And the last takeaway is just this. God is present and willing to lead even when we are in difficult, sorrowful, or uncertain times. And friends, aren't we in difficult times? Aren't we in uncertain times? This community that was gathered in this story that we're we're learning about, they, they did not know what was going to happen. But they trusted Jesus. So they did what he called them to do. And even though things were hard, even though they were sad, even though there were these struggles in front of them, and even they had no idea what to expect, they gathered and they worshiped because they were confident that in the midst of our question marks is the love of God who's willing to lead and guide and direct. I don't know if you're in a place maybe this morning where there's a lot of question marks for you. Maybe some of them are happy question marks. Maybe they're like, what, what am I going to do next with my life? Where am I going to go? What's, what do I get to choose? Maybe that some of them are scary question marks. What's around the next corner? How is God at work? I'm, I'm afraid of that phone call I may get next week. 
But here's what this community knew, and here's what this community knows. God is good. And we know he is good because he sent his son that all who would believe in him would be with him forever. Our circumstances may be uncertain, and though we're in a process of discerning his leading, we can always know who God is. He is good. Let's pray. God, we do ask that you would be leading and guiding us in this time. As a community, as we seek to hear from you, as individuals, as we seek to be obedient to you. God, I pray that that we might experience the same kind of um, trust and confidence in your goodness to us. We ask that you would do that through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.